Welcome to The Theater Project. Today, The Theater Project is thinking about holiday films you haven't memorized yet. Movie mavens Mark Spina and Harry Patrick Christian have some suggestions for lesser-known classic films with holiday themes. We hope you enjoy. So, Harry, how are you? I'm good, Mark. How are you? I'm well, and thank you so much for coming to talk to me about holiday movies. As you know, I love the holidays and I love movies. I know you do. There are few people that love Christmas and the holiday season as much as you do that, that I'm aware of. And same goes for movies, especially movies of a certain age. Oh, yes, and I don't want anyone to be discouraged that three of my favorite holiday movies are actually murder mysteries. So uh, a little murder around the holidays, I think, is a nice balance. <laughs> well, let's face it, the holiday season can be <laughs> stressful. <laughs> and people often show their worst behavior <laughs> during the holidays. So true, so true. And that's why there are a couple of old movies that I always watch around Christmas because they're not necessarily about the holidays, but they take place around the holidays. And that always makes me feel that I'm more in sync with the story and with the actors. So uh, I want to talk about one called Holiday. I'm familiar with Holiday. Yes, I, of course you would be, because it stars Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Uh -huh. And it's a combination of screwball comedy and comedy of manners. And it takes place between Christmas and New Year's. And it's a romantic comedy about how do you find your soulmate? How do you find the person you're meant to be with? Cary Grant is not originally supposed to get together with Katherine Hepburn. He's actually supposed to get together with the woman who plays her sister. But somehow or other, over the course of this movie that takes place at the holidays, they find each other in this very glamorous setting, this mansion on Fifth Avenue in New York. And it has one of the most joyful sequences in film. Cary Grant had been an acrobat. And yeah. Catherine, of course, was absolutely fearless. And there's a moment when they do uh, an acrobatic feat that is so joyful. And the, the entire movie is worth seeing just for that moment, but for the romance and for the message of the movie and the holiday spirit. So a holiday is one I would definitely recommend. So I have to agree with you. There are some wonderful, joyful sequences in it. And seeing Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn do those acrobatic scenes that you're talking about, it is truly joyful. But Holiday was not a hit when it came out in 1938 because of the theme you're talking about. So I, do, I think you should talk about the theme a little bit. What is the theme of Holiday? And why would audiences coming out of the Depression not take to it? So Cary Grant plays someone who is making a success in business and he wants to leave business and do his own thing. Mm -hmm. And that was not a theme that audiences in the 30s who were struggling for employment were ready to relate to. Although people who grew up in the 60s and 70s were very much into that message of let me find my own path, let me explore life. And so the movie, it's like bringing up Baby, one of their other films. Also 1938, yes. Uh, that becomes more popular with time as the themes have a chance to resonate with other generations. Absolutely. And Holiday is a joyful movie, I have to say. And I think it's one of Cary Grant's most appealing performances. But I'll be honest with you, it didn't resonate with me that it takes place between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, one of the first scenes is in a church at a Christmas service where uh, the daughter wants to break it to her wealthy, stodgy father that she's going to marry this nobody. So she chooses to do it at the Christmas service so he can't explode on her. So he's forced to keep it under wrap. 
That's right. That's right. That's but right. the theme of the movie, though, is about the rejection of materialism, which I think is so important for us to remember at Christmas in a society that is always in danger of losing the thread of the holiday as we buy, shop, party. I think that the idea of balancing materialism with personality and spirit is so important. Which brings me to my first movie. I wasn't going to start with this one, but since what you just said sort of ties in about anti-materialism, Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory, which was a novella he wrote in 1956. And in 1966, 10 years later, Frank Perry directed a television movie version of it for a series called ABC Studio that was high quality television but done on a very, very low budget. And A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote, the story itself is, is an autobiographical tale of the last happy childhood Christmas that Truman Capote claims to have had with the person that was his best friend at the time, which was an older lady that he called Sook, and she called him Buddy. I just learned today that this television version was almost canceled because Geraldine Page, who had been cast to play Sook, was so vital to the project, to Frank Perry, the director, and to Drew and Capote, that if she couldn't do it, they just weren't going to do it. And she was in a Broadway run at the time. And the show closed four days before they started filming. So the project was back on and they went down. They were gonna film in Monroeville, Alabama, which is where the story actually took place. But by that time, Monroeville was a little too modern for the story. So Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird, took the filmmakers to this little town outside of Monroeville, which is where they filmed it, which is one of the reasons I love it so much is that it captures a part of the South in winter that I don't think most people are familiar with. People don't think of the South in wintertime. The coldest I've ever been in my life was in North Florida. There's a chill. I don't know if it comes from the Gulf breezes or what, but it's a specific sting in the cold air. And that's the signal for the Sook characters to say, it's fruitcake weather to Buddy, the little boy who's her best friend and who has basically been left by his mother and father in this household of elderly women. There are two other aunts in this story who are not as loving and kind as the Geraldine Page character. This movie touches me every time I watch it. It touches me on a deeper level, the older I get, there's no snow, there's no Santa Claus, there's no Yuletide things that we're used to seeing. It's these two people, these two characters that love each other, gathering materials to make fruitcakes, 30 fruitcakes for people that they admire or have met through the year, not necessarily close friends, like they're sending one to Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> which I just think is so sweet. And they have a discussion at one point about, well, maybe we should send one to, you know, this neighbor around the corner. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But they have to go and collect pecans for the fruitcake, which is something that I did with my grandmother. They had pecan trees and we would go out and we would pick them up off the ground and we'd put them in little gift bags. And pecans are very expensive today. And there were some people who would, frown on pecans as a gift that somehow they were some sort of cheap nothing which broke my heart in a way because they weren't a cheap nothing if you go to a grocery store and you go try buy a bag of pecans you'll see how <laughs> expensive they are but beyond that it was just the loving act of of doing it of picking them up and putting them in a bag and making sure they look good and there were no rotten ones and all this kind of stuff and all this is wrapped up in this story 
that is very simple. There's not a lot of action in it. It's just about people who love each other. And there's a melancholy ache to it too, which I think is part of Christmas. It's wrapped up in the holiday, this ache for how we wish things could be an ache for the people that aren't with us anymore. There's a line that pierces me. Truman Capote narrates a lot of this television movie and he has such a distinctive voice that people can caricature, but somehow with this story, it rises above all that. And when he says at the end, home is where my friend is and there I never go. I don't know how anybody can not feel a, a pang at that line because I think we all have a place or a person or something that we wish we could go to still. But above and beyond, if for no other reason you should watch this, A Christmas Memory, you can watch it in its entirety in several versions on YouTube. There's blurry, looks like someone recorded it from their living room while they were watching TV. The clearest version is a black and white version, but it was aired in color. But you should watch it for Geraldine Page's brilliant, nuanced, accurate, authentic performance. She grew up in rural Missouri for part of her childhood. Her father was a preacher, so she's able to tap into things in this story that are very real. Have you seen it, Mark? I remember seeing it as a small child and loving it and being so touched by it. Uh, It's a beautiful story, and I think anyone who has a grandmother in their lives or an aunt that they were close to, I mean, you identify with the relationship of this caretaker and the simplicity of what they're doing for their neighbors at Christmas. It's really quite lovely. It is beautiful. And there's a scene where they make friends with an alleged Native American. (laughs) They have to go buy whiskey. He's Mr. (laughs) Ha-Ha. But it's just a beautiful story. And it is, as I said, it's available on YouTube. Patty Duke did a version, a remake version in the late 90s that was in high def. And if you want to settle for that version, you can. (laughs) It's the same story. It's been expanded a little to flesh it out. But for my money, you can't top the Geraldine Page Truman Capote version. Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. Your turn, Mark. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you about a murder mystery. Um, so The Thin Man, the first in the series with William Powell and Myrna Loy, uh-huh. takes us back to New York in the early 30s, where uh-huh. everyone is going to nightclubs, drinking cocktails, smoking cigarettes and cigarette holders, staying in fancy hotels. And of course, this is taking place just at Christmas and ends just at New Year's. And there are some wonderful dark black and white cinematography, long shadows on the street. The murder mystery is quite complicated and fun to figure out, but it's also partly a screwball comedy because Myrna Loy and William Powell have this relationship where they are constantly bantering, smoking, drinking, stealing each other's cigarettes and cocktails. Of course, their dog Asta was famous for his hijinks. And the supporting cast is fantastic. Uh, All these character actors that you recognize immediately and think, where have I seen them before? But it's an awful lot of fun. And it does have a holiday theme, jokes about the gifts we get, the gifts we don't get. But of course you watch it for the murder mystery, but it does take place at the holidays and it takes you back to a New York that perhaps never existed, but is still fascinating to watch. It's very glamorous. And then they take you to the Lower East Side and you see the whole underbelly of New York at the time. It's a fun, fun movie. Yeah. Half murder mystery, half screwball comedy. And I highly recommend it at the holidays. Lots of fun. 
It is a lot of fun. It's a great film. And for such an old movie, it holds up and it's well-paced. Uh, wasn't that W.S. Van Dyke? Yes. One Take Van Dyke? One Take Woody, yes. He directed it. So it does move much more quickly than some of the early 30s films do. And the characterizations of the supporting cast are just fantastic. Just, yeah. hey, I don't want to spoil it for you. Just watch it, The Thin Man. Is that the one where Myrna does the pratfall in the beginning? One of the best entrances ever. It's amazing. I've been Christmas shopping. <laughs> dragged into a hotel ballroom by a dog while she's carrying a million Christmas packages. It's an amazing stunt, and it's clearly her. Yes. It's uh, wonderful. She says, he's dragged me into every gin mill on the street looking for you. <laughs> she says, how many cocktails have you had? And she tells the waiter, okay, bring me five martinis and line them up right here so she can catch up with them. And of course, it was based on the book by Dashiell Hammett. And most people believe that the relationship between Nick and Nora, the two protagonists, are based on Dashiell Hammett's relationship with Lillian Hellman, the playwright. So it's a little glimpse into a fantasy version of that relationship. <laughs> Lots of fun to watch. Lots of fun. Any time of the year, in my opinion. Yes, but especially, I, I tend to save it for the holidays because it does take place just at Christmas and, and before New Year's. There is my next film, is like you, is one that I like to watch every holiday season. I was lucky enough to find it on DVD a few years ago. You can watch it on YouTube and a pretty good version of it, but I recommend trying to get the DVD from your library. I'm going to put in a plug in for libraries right here. My own local library is being hit by budget cuts and talk of cutting days, and I think that's a, a criminal thing to do. There are a lot of people whose only resource is the library for many things, from Wi-Fi to CDs, DVDs, books, magazines, or just a place to be. And they were hit very hard during the pandemic, which I don't think people realize. But a lot of the movies we're talking about, if you can't get them online to stream, you can get a DVD version of many of these or a video cassette if anyone still has a VCR player at your library. So enough of that. The movie I'm going to talk about is The House without a Christmas tree, which interestingly enough, Frank Perry directed A Christmas Memory. Eleanor Perry, his wife, wrote the screenplay based on a book called The House Without a Christmas Tree, which takes place in Nebraska in 1946 and was done on an extremely low budget and broadcast on December 3rd, 1972. And it starred Jason Robards, Mildred Natwick, and a remarkable young actress named Lisa Lucas. And it is a very, very affecting story. Beautiful. It's almost like a play that's been filmed. They went to an actual house. You go into the house and it's an embittered widowed father and his daughter who are living with the father's mother, played by Mildred Natwick. They're living in her house. The mother died when the little girl was a baby. And the father is just an embittered man and doesn't want a Christmas tree in his house or any reminder of anything festive because it makes him think of his wife. It's a simple story, but what makes this one work for me is, A, I think a lot of these Christmas things that we come back to time and time again, it's not only the story that it tells, but it's our recollection of when we saw it, of watching it maybe with our grandmother or whatever it may be, the memories of the first time you saw it are as important in the rewatching of it as the story itself. Do you know what I mean, Mark? Yes, I do, Larry. And so This House Without a Christmas Tree, Mildred Natwick, much like Geraldine Page in A Christmas Memory, is a grandmother figure for me. She reminds me of my own grandmothers in 
her wisdom, her sense of humor, her slight eccentricity, the fact that she still held on to this sense of childhood, that she remembers what it is to be a child, even though they may be elderly people, that spark is still there. And just how she relates to her granddaughter and to her son is so reminiscent of my own relationship with my grandparents. It touches me deeply. And it's just a really beautifully told, profound story. It's not sappy in any way. By the title alone, you almost know how the thing's going to end up, but it doesn't do it in a cliche way. Each of the characters are so extremely well-developed and you care about them so much. And as adults, as I think I said earlier, we're all yearning for that magic Christmas that we may have had as a child or that we wanted as a child. And, and as you get older, you realize it's just these little moments, little sparkle moments where everybody's just sort of connecting and acting out of love and nothing more than that. And that's what I think you'll find with The House Without a Christmas Tree, besides some amazing acting by the three leads. And say who are the leads again, Harry? Jason Robards, Oscar winner, Mildred Natwick, legendary Irish-American actress, and Lisa Lucas. They actually made three of these stories with these same characters. One was a Thanksgiving treasure, I believe it's called, and then an Easter one as well. And they also have to mention, one of the things that makes it magical is that the opening sequence is a cut out of colored construction paper that are pieced together and then much like the Wild Wild West, those images would then come to life to an actual filmed image from the construction paper art. I love that kind of thing. <laughs> He's referring to the television show, not the location, ladies and gentlemen, just for those of you who didn't know. Uh, you know, and I wasn't going to say anything about you being at the premiere of The Thin Man, but I digress. Yes, let's not go there. <laughs> All right, your turn. Well, I'm going to actually talk about two at once, Harry, if you don't mind. They're both lady movies and they're both murder mysteries. One is Lady on a Train and one is Lady in the Lake. Again, I don't know what it is about me and murder, but I do enjoy the murder mystery. Uh, <laughs> lady on a Train, I'd heard the name Deanna Durbin. I had never seen her. I'd never even heard her sing. But I stumbled on this movie, on Turner Classic Movies, then I had to have it, and now I see it every Christmas. So it's Christmas, she's going to New York for the holidays, and through the window of the train, she sees a murder. And in between her preparing for the holidays and singing Silent Night into the phone to her father back in San Francisco, she decides she's going to solve the murder herself. And so it involves impersonation of a nightclub singer, giving her lots of opportunities to change costumes and sing sultry songs, and she does have a gorgeous voice. Surprisingly, she has an incredible sense of humor and comic timing. She is very talented, very easy to watch, and so are the wonderful character actors around her as she is impersonating this nightclub singer. So these are all people you would recognize from other old movies, Elizabeth Patterson, Mrs. Trumbull from I Love Lucy is in it. And it's just a comic lark, takes place at the holidays. She does solve the mystery eventually. <laughs> I hope that doesn't spoil it for you. <laughs> she does a great job and uh, the supporting cast is wonderful. And it has just enough moments of danger to make the comedy even that much more fun. Oh, good. Yeah. As she's fooling all these people about being this glamorous nightclub singer. <laughs> when it's really just the glamorous Deanna Durbin. Masquerading as a glamorous nightclub singer. She is very appealing, that's for sure. She is. And she's someone, if you want to read about her, who 
actually just decided one day to throw it all over and give up Hollywood and just move to France, but found her own way on, on a completely different path, which is probably why we don't know as much about her today as we do other stars of that era. But the other lady movie is Lady in the Lake with Robert Montgomery and a little known actress today, but Audrey Totter, very unusual screen presence. Her hair is pulled back so tightly, you think her eyes are going to burst from her head half the time. But this movie was unusual because it's based on a murder mystery, uh, the Philip Marlowe character, Raymond Chandler invented. But in this movie, the lead actor is never seen. The camera is his eyes. So the audience is seeing what the character would see as he walked into the room. So you hear his voice, you see his hands. The only time you see him is if he's looking in a mirror. As, which he occasionally does as he's solving this very complicated murder mystery that takes place, you'll never guess. Christmas at Christmas. And it has a little bit of that madman element. You see a 1950s holiday party in an office building, much like the one in Mad Men. Christmas Eve, the poor man is beaten to a bloody pulp by some thugs, but he does manage in the end to solve the murder mystery. So if you want a holiday-themed movie, because even when he goes to investigate the clues, there are still Christmas wreaths on the doors, and even on the police station door, when he gets hauled in by the cops, it still takes place at Christmas, and the opening theme song, indeed, is a Christmas party. So uh, again, if you need a dose of murder at Christmas, a lady in the lake, lady on a train, and the thin man are all going to give you opportunities to see to solve a murder and celebrate the holidays at the same time. <laughs> and God knows that's fun. Okay. I actually have a murder <laughs> one on my list too, but <laughs> it's called Black Christmas and it's directed by Bob Clark, who we know from A Christmas Story and Home Alone. I think he was involved in those movies as well, but Black Christmas stars Olivia Hussey, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, Care Delay, Gone Tomorrow, and it's one of my favorite <laughs> slasher Christmas films. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait, Harry. Yeah. So if you're in a mood for that kind of thing, a little Halloween splashed in with your Christmas, then that's the one to go for. But I want to talk about an actual, there are slews and slews of filmed versions of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. From the 30s to the Alastair Sim 1951 version to Henry Winkler who you youngsters might know from reruns of Happy Days. He was the Fonz. He actually played Scrooge in the TV movie version. But I'm going to talk about a musical version, music by Leslie Brickus, who we just lost last week. Is that how you say it, Brickus? Your guess is as good as mine, Harry. Anyway, Leslie Brickus, the British composer, he did the music to a musical version of Dickens' Scrooge, a Christmas Carol called Scrooge, starring that great singer, Albert Finney. And this was at a period when Hollywood was doing gargantuan musicals with non-singing stars, like Paint Your Wagon with Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood. I have all their albums, I don't know about you. But this one, Scrooge, it was a flop, but it was nominated for four Academy Awards and it is rich in production design and some imaginative thinking, like the ghost of Christmas past is played by Dame Edith Evans. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is the first time I'm aware of it being a woman and an older woman. And she somehow manages to convey this sense of regality and regret at poor 
Ebenezer's past, his childhood. Then you've got the wonderful Kenneth Moore, Sir Kenneth Moore playing Ghost of Christmas Present. And it's worth it just to see the scene where he makes his entrance with cakes and candles all over the place. It must have cost a fortune. And this elaborate beard and he's delicious. And then you have, of course, the wraith-like frightening shrouded figure of the ghost of Christmas yet to be. And Sir Alec Guinness plays Marley. One of the songs was nominated for best song. Thank you very much is that song. But Roger Ebert in his review of it said, you don't need music to tell this story. And of course you don't, but I think the songs are fun and it's a beautiful version of Dickens' tale. And it really the Dickens flavor is rich. And Albert Finney gives a brilliant performance and somehow his non-singing singing works for the character. I mean, do you want an Ebenezer Scrooge who has a beautiful voice? Mm. Sure, that would work. But anyway, it's beautifully filmed version of this classic holiday tale. You've got dozens of choices, but this one might be one you haven't come across. Well, if we're going to talk about musical Christmas carols, I have to put in a plug, and this is probably the only movie that I've mentioned so far that young children could probably enjoy, is Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a musical and a delightful one at that. <laughs> it was the version that introduced me to the Christmas Carol story as a child because it's a 45-minute, one-hour telling, and the songs are adorable with all <laughs> these Broadway people voicing them. And it's very, very funny with that sort of 1960s era. Very much 60s. Visual yeah. humor. Uh, some of the rhymes just <laughs> stayed in my head my entire life until I rediscovered this on DVD <laughs> a few years ago and I realized those rhymes had never left my head. But uh, a great way to introduce kids to that story. Yes, I agree, it is. And it is a classic story, let's face it. Some other movies you might not have thought about this holiday season, because let's face it, we all know it's a wonderful life. But my first encounter with that story was in a television movie version starring Marlo Thomas in the Jimmy Stewart role. And it is called It Happened One Christmas. It's the same exact story as It's a Wonderful Life. It's just the genders have been switched. Cloris Leachman does a delightful job playing Clara, the angel. Wayne Rogers plays Donna Reed, if you will. <laughs> but it's a very faithful telling and the story works and it surprisingly works. I don't know why I should say surprising, it's no surprise. But this was made during the height of the feminist movement, the Gloria Steinem, Phyllis Schlafly battle years. So it is interesting to see this feminist take, if you will, on this classic story. And it doesn't sledgehammer any of that. It's still just the same beautiful story, beautifully told about how one person's life change everybody else's around them. So that is available on YouTube. And it's called, once again, It Happened One Christmas. And then there's The Homecoming, which was the very first televised Waltons. If you remember this television series, The Waltons. This was a Christmas special where Patricia Neal played the mother. And it's a beautiful Christmas story too. I seem to be drawn to these depression era uh, Christmas tales where people's the opposite of the thin man, let's say, in holiday, where it's opulent and cocktails and meat coats and all that stuff. And I, it's probably because of my own upbringing and stories my parents and grandparents told me where some Christmases you got an apple and that was what you got. And you were thrilled about it. So part of me, there's, there's a, like a wistfulness 
Because I think those Christmases were just as magic as the ones where the kids wake up and there's tons of Santa Claus gifts under the tree. It's those magical moments that I was talking about earlier. Sally Field directed a movie and co-wrote it called The Christmas Tree. It came out in 1996 with Julie Harris, who played a nun who was put in an orphan in a convent when she was an orphaned baby and grew up with this tree that is the people that are at Rockefeller Center. They want the tree. They want it to be their annual holiday tree. And she doesn't want them, as you can imagine, to cut down the tree. It's a very sweet story. And once again, with a great older actress using all of her gifts to tell a holiday tale. And speaking of great actresses, Falling in Love from 1984 stars Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro and has opening and closing scenes that take place at Christmas. And it's it's sort of a brief encounter-ish kind of tale of a couple who meet in a store and accidentally get the wrong gifts. He takes the gifts she had meant to buy and vice versa. And they discover the mistake on Christmas morning and then they meet to exchange the gifts. And the spark that they had first felt is of course sparkier and uh, complications ensue. But so many characters say Merry Christmas in this movie at a time before Merry Christmas became politicized and you know not everybody celebrates Christmas and blah 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 where Merry Christmas was just no matter what your religious beliefs were you just said it as a greeting to people without thinking about it but Meryl Streep has a way of saying it where you really feel the Merry and the Christmas (laughs) in in every possible way Mm. and it's a sweet movie and I think Streep and De Niro have some great chemistry as well. And then there are two that may be obvious to some of you. Love Actually, which came out in 2003, which is probably the most modern movie on the list for me. I think it's a great movie. It's not for the kids. It's for grown-ups, but it is a feel-good movie with a lot of great actors in different storylines. The greatest for me being Emma Thompson's. Emma Thompson's acting of getting a present opening a present she thought she was going to get and realizing it's not what she was expecting. And her reaction is worth the price of admission. It is a stunning scene that once you've seen it, you'll never forget it. And then finally, uh, The Bishop's Wife, which is one of three movies that came out in the late 40s that were all nominated for Best Picture. It's a Wonderful Life is one of them. Miracle on 34th Street is another. And this one, The Bishop's Wife, was the third, and the Bishop's Wife tends to always get the bronze (laughs) in those three, and has lost favor in the past few years. It used to be shown a lot when I was a kid at Christmas time, but I think it's because we have so many now, more modern ones like Elf, which I love, I love Elf, and A Christmas Story, that Bishop's Wife somehow slipped through the cracks. But if you go back, And look at it, it's an amazing story with a supernatural element that's never really quite explained what the Cary Grant character is. You started with Holiday and Cary Grant. Cary Grant gives a wonderful performance here as this, I'm just going to say a being that shows up at Bishop David Niffin and his wife, played by Loretta Young, at their home at holiday time and how he affects their lives and the congregation and their marriage. And there are some genuinely unsettling moments in it. What's great about The Bishop's Wife is that it's a story, even 
beyond any kind of story, not just a holiday story, but you, you're not sure where it's going. You can't quite predict where the story is headed because there's a real attraction between this married bishop's wife, happily married, but this other person is Cary Grant. Cary Grant is Cary Grant after all. Yes, he is. So that's a very special one that probably is the most accessible one on my list. And those are my list of holiday movies that you might want to check out. Well, I'm just going to parenthetically mention one final movie that I know Harry also likes a lot too. It's The Shop Around the Corner with Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan and The Wizard of Oz himself, Frank Morgan. It's had many other versions since then, including You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, loosely based on it. But this is the original movie directed by Lubitsch. Ernst Lubitsch. Lubitsch. And it is a beautiful story set in, I believe it's Prague. Is that right, Harry? Uh, Hungary. It's Hungary. Budapest. Budapest. It's set in Budapest. And it's a love story. Two shop clerks who are constantly bickering don't realize that they have been romantic pen pals for quite some time and that they are actually in love with each other. <laughs> but it takes them a long time to get past the fact that they don't actually like each other in real life. But they continue the correspondence. Jimmy Stewart cottons on much earlier than Margaret does. But it's one of the loveliest pieces of romantic comedy. It's about two people who truly do love each other for what's in their minds. And there's a lot of comedy in it, a lot of great character performances, a lot of European atmosphere to it. But also, the movie has such incredible acts of kindness in it yes. that I think it ends at Christmas. And those the acts of kindness that some of these characters offer to each other and the friendship that they offer to each other is why I like to watch it around the holidays, because those acts of kindness are rare at any time of year. And at the holidays especially, I think we want to see and be reminded that that's what the holidays are for. Absolutely, Mark. I think that's why we return to these things. I think Christmas is, in our fast-paced lives, it's the one time of year, at least in Western culture, where we do slow down a little bit. We do pull out the old songs. It's cool to listen to Bing Crosby. You're given permission to be sentimental. And I think every one of these stories, with the exception of the murder mysteries, perhaps, <laughs> what draws us to them are these acts of kindness, these little acts of kindness, House Without a Christmas Tree, Christmas Memory, Love Actually, all of them, not Black Christmas, of course, but there is a moment where some character does some unexpected kindness. It may be small, but that is the magic of Christmas, isn't it? What more can you ask for? Many of these movies remind us about friendship, about relationship. And I think this is a time of year when this particular culture does slow down enough to say, let's remember to do those things because so often they can get forgotten. And, and that's why I keep me up through February. So I remember a little <laughs> bit longer. Well, it is the great thing about Christmas morning is it feels like most of the world has stopped for a little while and it stopped their hectic pace and just enjoy the people they're around. And when you get a little older and you, the best part about it is when you've gotten something for somebody else and you're excited for them to open what you've got them as opposed to the other way around. What am I getting? The magic becomes, oh, I hope they like what I give them. Yes. That's the thrill of it. 
Is, at least that's what it should yeah, be. It's wanting to be there for other people. Mm -hmm. So we hope you all have a wonderful holiday. We hope that these movies might uh, help you enjoy the holidays a little bit more or a little bit differently in, in ways than you have in the past or uh, deepen your appreciation of the holidays or you know, murder at the holidays. Um, <laughs> Let's face it, they become stressful enough that you... <laughs> they become stressful enough and the murder mysteries might relieve some of that stress. <laughs> uh, we are always very grateful for our audience and we truly do hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Yes, we do, folks. And no matter how you celebrate or what your traditions may be, may it be filled with love and happiness, peace and joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Theater Project Thinks About. If you found a new favorite, let us know. And if you're interested in hearing the work of one of our up-and-coming playwrights, join us next month when we meet young playwright Ryan Rosenthal and listen to his play, The Patron's Redeemer, which won second place at last year's Young Playwright Competition. Our audio engineer was Alex Gomez, and our theme music was by Gail Liu and Damien DeSandes. Visit thetheaterproject.org to sign up for our mailing list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you next time.